Welcome to Sound DeFi, the podcast that delivers key insights from today's thought leaders on all things DeFi, blockchain, crypto, and private market asset data. I'm your host, Chris Berg. As many of you know, we're in Women's History Month, so we just did a Women in Blockchain roundtable here at this great Invenium conference. So we've got some very special guests with us, Jeanette Spalding, CEO of Invenium Asset Management, Anna Dinescu. She's the founder of Liberty Road Capital. Uh, Renuka Gupta, the Chief Regulatory and Compliance Officer for Oasis Pro Markets. From Amber Data, we've got Lauren Richmond and also Yael Tamar, the CEO and co-founder of Solid Blocked. All of you, it was a fantastic conversation. So thank you so much for being here. We'll start with you, Yael. If you want to just talk a little bit about your company, what's the problem that you're solving and how you're serving your clients. So we put real estate on the blockchain with Solid Block. We're in the space of digital assets backed by real estate. The real estate market is huge, $300 trillion. Out of that, only 1% is tradable. So you can invest. So you have around, right, you have around $50 billion of real estate where you can invest. You can put the money in, but you can't take the money out. Only about $3 trillion, right, are available for sale. So we are solving that problem, right? Liquidity in the real estate market is huge, especially in an environment where you're expecting recession or some sort of a downturn. Uh, also in an environment where you're expecting increase, it's also important for people to be able to make money in the short term, right? So instead of waiting for five to seven years for the owner of the asset to sell it, to realize your profit. So we're in the business of making things like they should be, right? Put real estate like any other asset in a digital format and allow people to have control over it. So one, how are you doing that? And one of the things I really appreciated about how you communicated about it was it seemed like you're trying to empower the people and help them have more access to more liquidity. Right. So we're doing that with the digital assets framework on the blockchain. There are several ways to benefit from real estate. One of that is by holding it. So you can buy a security, essentially, that is backed by real estate. You create a company that will essentially buy real estate, and you split that company into shares, and then you put the ownership of those shares on the blockchain. So whenever somebody buys a fraction of a real estate asset, their ownership will be written into the blockchain ledger as opposed to some Excel database or SQL database uh, where usually ownership right now of companies is written. So once it's on the blockchain, it's more secure, it's more transparent, and it's also transferable. You can trade it even peer-to-peer, or you can trade it on one of the exchanges that we saw today on various panels here at the Invenium 3.0 conference. So bottom line, you can create a tradable financial security backed by real estate. There are other ways to do interesting things on the blockchain, which don't involve securitization, and they're very interesting right now. Things like NFTs, which is, let's say, one asset being put into this financial product, the non-fungible token, that you can also sell you know, from person to person without having to securitize it. You can also issue an NFT for use of property, for rentals, for hospitality. So it's just fascinating. And this is just one new product. And I'm sure we'll have many more to come. I'm going to integrate the rest of you here in just a moment. But since she ended on the metaverse, I've got to ask her, since she's doing the real estate piece, just your take on where things are going with the real estate in the metaverse world. I mean, Snoop Dogg, you know, buying his NFT home. And (laughs) you see the incredible increases that are happening with Sandlot and the different players in that space. What's your assessment and where is it going? 
this is just another country, let's say, right? Everybody's saying, why, we gotta buy real estate in Florida. Oh, we gotta buy real estate in Puerto Rico. It's going up. Well, the real estate in the metaverse is going up. <laughs> but the thing about that country is that, number one, the regulatory rules still apply. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, you still have to watch out for the securities issues. But other than that, it's it's a new world that with developing rules and regulations. The values are unclear, but what's clear is that you have to be in it. So that's why brands and companies are jumping on and they want to be first. And that's the best value that it has to offer right now. In the future, that's just another Facebook, another Google, another way to advertise. And you can buy advertising space today. That's what I was, I mean, the, the revenue streams in that space are incredible. Um, yes. Anna, you're doing some amazing things as well at Liberty Road Capital. Just talk about the genesis of your company, the inspiration behind it, and what you're doing. So uh, the story behind it is it's quite uh, interesting. Um, the, the other co-founders just sold a successful hedge fund that he ran for 18 years and was one of the best top performing hedge funds in the world. And in 2018, he sold that. And he uh, completely, you know, went away from it, and he started his own family office. And his family office was trading. I was uh, working with him. We were only trading crypto, uh, digital assets. But in the beginning, you know, there were all the ICOs, all the fever about, you know, uh, being there in the right time uh, and getting the right token or, uh, you know, crypto currency, how they called it. And um, soon after that, he started discovering the options market into Bitcoin Ethereum. Being his hedge fund being a FX hedge fund, it was a, a very direct uh, connection or, you know, uh, just uh, uh, around the corner from the traditional FX to the crypto market, Bitcoin and Ethereum, obviously. And um, the returns are unbelievable because the, everybody's talking about the liquidity then these days and the uh, volatilities in this market. And uh, that's that's how everything uh, was, you know, was born Liberty Road. And we just, from trading our family office money, we just realized that, look, this is something else that we have here. And there's room for building the next hedge fund, the next he crypto hedge fund, the future one that is going to be probably the next, you know, Bridgewater uh, that I truly admire, uh, Ray Dalio and everything that he built. And um, that's that's the vision behind it. You know, what we're doing, it's it's pretty impressive and we want other people to have access to it. And um, yeah, that's that's in just so, in a short. Thank you. You and I had a chance to visit before we started this, and you were saying, "Hey, Chris, you know, it's full transparency. We're getting incredible returns. Do you want to share a little bit more about that?" Yeah, sure. So, like other emerging managers out there on the market, uh, we try to monetize against inefficiencies in the market, and we we definitely seen a lot in the let's say the, the arbitrage exchanges. There still are a lot of uh, you know uh, money to be made and returns just by uh, a very simple arbitrage strategy what what we do with options trading is much more complicated you know it's a, it's about uh, watching the full surface and uh, trying to get the right uh, trades based on the where where you see those inefficiencies and where those opportunities arrive and it's it's about again being at the right time in the right place but this Right now, we see you know some volatilities that are around 117 and 200 percent, which is no other market right now shows anything like that similar. So we can maybe compare it to the 80s when you could see the you know the commodities market that could see like 70 around 17, 80 percent vols, but uh, definitely you know here it's it's much bigger. So by by just trading that and by just seeing where the implied volatility is against realized volatility, you can make huge returns and that. 
that's what brings us, you know, from a traditional covered call strategy, which can return up to 50%, to uh, a full vol trading uh, uh, strategy that can return 170% returns, which I know it's, you know, sometimes kids, people can say too good to be true, but it is, it is what it, the truth, and I'm happy to share all those numbers. Thank you. Um, one last thing for you is this: is that so throughout this conference, people have been kind of me and say, Chris, what is great about what Invenium is doing is the missing piece is sort of the education piece. You ended your comments and saying, hey, I think what we need to do for more inclusivity, thanks to Jeanette's question, is we need to do a better job of education. So how do you see that playing out? What specifically would you be focused on from an education perspective right now to help more adaption and adaptation of this? Well, that's an interesting question. There are so many things to be done in this field, obviously. But I was talking about education in terms of, okay, the crypto markets, you can definitely relate to the derivatives, the classical derivatives market, but but the crypto is different. And there are so many new things. There are like, you can see the liquidity pools, you can see the new indexes that are coming to the market, the synthetic products, the tokens, you know, that are linked and hedged to the VIX and all these tools that are, you know, just becoming more and more to the market. What you can do is people, you know, need to, specialize in one thing and education means specializing really learning what that thing does and do it in a very good way be the best of it what we're doing you know we can we could be in everything we can go DeFi we can go liquidity pools we can be you know uh, the treasury management we can be everything but being in everything doesn't mean that you're very good at one thing so education helps that's one of the key things in my opinion right now, people need to educate themselves really, really well into one field, get very good at that, and then maybe move to the next one. But the, the things are moving so fast that if you're not, you know, getting everything in one area, you can miss so many other things. So that's pretty much it. Very well said. You also commented about just sort of the overwhelming aspect of this industry now because it's 24-7. So if we have time, we'll get to the lifestyle piece maybe in a moment. But Renuka, for you, it was great to hear your comments as well because one of the common themes that's been going through here, which you think DeFi, you think no regs, and yet there's been a common theme of, hey, we need more regulation. So you commented on President Biden's recent EO. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the regulation piece in this industry going? Well, I think for the whole picture to shake out, it's going to, to take a while. As I mentioned, I'm new to this industry, and so I've been learning up on it. And I was hoping it would be a quicker process, you know, because I think the market has been looking for guidance, has asked for guidance in the U.S. and hasn't received it. What they get are ambiguous enforcement actions from the SEC. And, you know, as Pat, um, the, the founder and CEO of Oasis Pro Markets, where I work, mentioned in his panel, you know, 600-page ATS releases, you know, from the SEC. Uh, yeah, I haven't read all through it either. I, I was going to say. It's, um, you know, it, it's incredible. I mean, I don't want to undermine the positive notes of the executive order, but it's a lot of studies commissioned, you know, and, and that takes a while because they have to be written. They're never on time. <laughs> Then they have to be processed by, you know, the Treasury and the various regulators. And in that time, there will continue to be, you know, I think up until the election, depending on how it goes, Chairman Gensler at the SEC is just going to continue to create really difficult rules that that seem to inhibit the industry rather than giving it guidance to perform in a compliant manner. So money to me flows like water, right? Area of least resistance. So do you think that we're losing money now in the United States? She's shaking her head, yeah. Because of the lack of clarity or like you said, they're making these difficult compliance issues? I think, yeah, I think 
you know, and it was similar after the financial regulation. Like, you know, markets moved to different places, like Singapore, you know, is an example. And, you know, I think that's happening again. And, you know, I think there will be a period of, of different types of activities that may be regulated here by the SEC, you know, showing up in different jurisdictions. But the money opportunity in the United States is so great, I think, that when we do get a big picture, you know, you'll have entrants coming back in. And that's what I meant about agility. Like maybe, you know, if you have a huge crypto and, you know, you're, you're doing DeFi applications and yield farming, you need to take that offshore so it's not a security and you don't need to be a registered fund. But eventually, when there's clarity, and it isn't just Chairman Gensler's say-so, you know, you'll want to bring that business back and have a healthy U.S. market. We hope, right? I mean, you see El Salvador and what they're doing. I mean, it's just, I guess we'll see what happens. So, Lauren, for you, um, you humbly talked about being you know, new to this industry, because I just want to hear a little bit about your journey and what your business does and what problem you're solving. Yeah, absolutely. So I come from a traditional financial background, mostly in fixed income. So I'm pretty familiar with how data works and how people use it. So I have to kind of give credit where credit is due. One of our co-founders, Tong Tong, is also an incredible woman in blockchain, and she's been absolutely amazing and just having her to like look up to and have as a mentor has been so amazing for me as somebody that's relatively new but the problem for me and for a lot of people especially hedge funds coming from whether they're crypto native or not is that uh, digital assets data is extremely disjointed there's so many different pieces to it that there are not in traditional financial market data so we have all been talking about you know, DeFi um, in digital assets data, it's so much, you have like hundreds maybe of centralized exchanges to begin with, you know, maybe 20 that are kind of legitimate. And then you have futures, you have options markets, which we've talked about, like Deribit, which we cover. And then you also have to take that and also say, oh, that's just one piece of it. You also have to look at DEXs. And then you also have to look at on-chain data. You have to look at mining, hash rates, liquidity pools, all this crazy stuff. And technically, you can plug into these chains and get this data. Anybody can. But it's so hard to work with. It's very expensive to store it. And there's such a huge opportunity for like hedge funds and particularly people in FX would like to somehow use crypto because it's a little bit similar in the way that it trades. But it's just so much work and it's so hard to hire engineers and devs right now. It's uh, That's another kind of Twitter joke going around. <laughs> <laughs> Spend way too much time on there. But so what we try to do is take all of that, um, take one look at the crypto economy, um, have that in a time series API and ship that out to people so that they can take that and make investment decisions. Also, we sell to oracles, we sell to um, trading platforms, anybody that needs that because there's so much there to look at. And there's also order book data. So we take all of that and keep it in that same time series. So for everything that I just talked about, we have it in a really clean format so that people that you know want to 
have a strategy. I'm, that's not what I do. That's not. It's never going to be what I do. Uh, but we we make that easy so that people can focus on that and not have to, you know, pay AWS millions of dollars every day. <laughs> so I think that's one thing to consider is what's going to happen to the banks through all this, right? Right. So one last thing I want to invite all of you to comment on is it's been very inspirational to hear stories from the standpoint of you brought up DAOs, right? And so where do you see this industry going in the next 36 months? five years. And so Jeanette, we'll start with you on that one. And just maybe you want to comment on what she said about the Dow for the history of black Americans. So just your thoughts on where is this space headed and how can people get ahead of the curve and take advantage of it? Yeah, I think DAOs, that's a tricky one because they are a very new kind of structure from a a society perspective. We don't really know how to effectively govern within a DAO. So there have been already some examples of of DAO structures that have kind of broken down and then they need to become centralized again. So I completely believe in the power of DAOs, but we're working through actually practically how do we as human beings work within a DAO and actually decentralize governance. So I think we might be, you know, a couple of years away from effective DAOs, but the fact that people are even willing to work on these issues and you have community builders that can use DAOs as a mechanism, I think that's huge. And it goes to show that blockchain technology is it's about financial products and it's about finance, but it can also be about new ways of building societies. So I see that as being a big theme, uh, particularly as well as, as Yael was talking about NFTs. I think that's going to be a transformative building block going forward as we move past, you know, we're still going to use art as, as one of the main sort of products for NFTs, I assume. But I think we're also going to see things like data NFTs, uh, where data can be containerized in an NFT format. And much like with the shipping container industry, that once you were able to pack products in a standardized shipping container, you could all of a sudden transport goods in much more efficient ways. I see that as being a way to transport data on blockchain rails in much more efficient ways by containerizing it in standardized NFT formats. So that's a use case that we are just now starting to explore. That's probably, you know, 36 months away, I'd say, particularly as organizations start exploring what data looks like on the blockchain for their organizations. I think we're going to see that a lot in in enterprise grade use of blockchain. Well, one thing is we haven't really talked about many of our conversations, just the geopolitical situation going on these days between Russia, Ukraine, you talked about inflation. I mean, there's so many pieces of the puzzle. So I don't know if you guys want to get into that. But um, last question for each of you quickly, just to be respectful of your time, where do you see the industry in the next 36 months to five years? Uh, The industry... I mean, I'm hoping it's going to boom and grow itself a (laughs) hundred times over. And it will happen. But the question is uh, whether it's going to happen through uh, kind of just creating of the creation of the new instruments from which, you know, a few people benefit, like the crypto enthusiasts and, and hedge funds and institutions. Or are we able to create a world in which the majority of the population will benefit from this industry, like it did from the Internet, like it did from mobile devices? Basically, go to the leapfrogging mode. Speaking about the conflict in Ukraine, the government was going to actually drop some NFTs or a, a token, and they canceled that out. But they have a digital IT minister who I've met before at, at a conference, and they and they are using blockchain all the way. They've gotten over fifty million dollars in crypto transactions. We're actually going to issue NFTs for people to buy space at hotels for refugees. So that's something where we're streamlining right now, yeah, because the hotels won't be able to manage for months and months to come, right, to give people free space. So you got to think about how to really utilize these technologies to to move forward. I love that idea. How about for you, Anna? 
Well, I, you know, it's it's such a tricky question. Exactly what you said. I, uh, sometimes you you can think about it as a hostile takeover. I don't know if you know merger acquisitions. You know, it can be that good takeover where you embrace, you know, the new company that is bringing because the other company is stronger. Uh, it's the same thing. Or if you can you can be a hostile takeover and you know can be a little bit more more tough. And I think it's just about you know how uh, this new blockchain and everything that comes around it with Web three zero, whatever we want to call it, the the metaverse that you said. How are we actually, are, is it going to be a hostile takeover, what we're seeing now? The genie is out of the bottle, no matter what, there's no way back. We cannot say, you know, we cannot just say, oh, Bitcoin is going to disappear or anything else. So this definitely is the future. Uh, are we going to see probably, I don't know, uh, an ETF, NFTs or uh, indexes, NFTs or something like that for sure? It's, it's just the, the, the field is definitely going to grow. And it's just a matter of, uh, you know, adoption and people, more and more people seeing the benefits, adopting the benefits it's embracing the new technology and uh, yeah working together to get better results in the better world and i apologize if this analogy is too simple for you guys but i mean are we headed towards ready player one the movie is that yeah <laughs> yeah movie. definitely you what i love that movie. yeah mm-hmm. but that's just one version of the metaverse that's like the facebook version of the metaverse right <laughs> but microsoft has a different version right and like everybody has a different one so it's just another place to sell you stuff which is a good yeah. place we buy, we like to buy stuff so so with that being said we're regulations in the next 36 months. I mean, you talked about, you know, the election. I think you were patted, but I think that was an important point because nothing's going to get done this year. So where are we in the next 36 months to five years? In the U.S., we're in Chairman Gensler's hands and his, his roles. But there are state, there are positive things that are happening. Jeanette talked about DAOs and Wyoming has DAO friendly as well as like crypto-friendly um, licensing laws, and so there is there is some place to operate, I think, and we'll see something in Europe, I think, sooner than we will in the United States. They're a little slow to get their legislation together, but you know it'll take us longer. So that's where I think we're we're headed for the next couple of years. And and I don't mean to back up, but is there any? What, what do you see? Because you're doing the derivatives and options. I mean. Do you see the El Salvador situation where they're about to do this billion-dollar bond at Bitcoin as a good thing, or? It depends. It's it's a good use case. It's something that obviously yeah you can look uh, look at. But it's it's a different thing when you're talking about a small country with uh, where eighty percent of their people were unbanked. If you're looking now, you know eighty five percent of their people have uh, that app downloaded, which is brilliant. So uh, can we say the same thing into Europe, or can we say can we apply the same thing in the United States? I don't know, to be honest. I don't know the answer of that. It's about, you know, regulators trying to figure things out. And uh, Because you follow that number so closely, I mean, it's got to be a little bit challenging to bond off a of Bitcoin with the volatility, right? Yeah, definitely. Look, it's such a tricky question to answer, honestly. Yeah. You know, you, you never know. I, I wish I had that uh, go, uh, crystal ball and... and say what what's going to be in the future but you never know you know i just heard this morning about the tsunami that is going to hit japan and you know i mean i literally believe that you know somebody just uh, hacked the source code of whatever we're living in environment i mean covid and now uh, you know we had war and now it's tsunami i mean what else seriously (laughs) so it feels like a movie at times (laughs) lauren we're going to give you the last word just where do you see us in the next 36 months or so oh well i love uh, what was just said about the unbanked i think blockchain has the ability to just really empower a lot of people that right now don't have good options. And I think also, I mean, with what's going on in the world, you see in like 
Canada shut off people from access to their bank accounts, and that's scary. And then you see in Russia, like, I forget which one it was, but people were trying to get into the subway and they shut down Apple Pay or something. And that's really scary. And I think blockchain provides a solution for that. Which I think goes back to Anna's piece about the education, because mm-hmm. back home I've been talking about this a lot. I said, guys, get ready. Something bad's coming. And there's, it's so hard to sort of navigate. You and I talked about this through the MetaMask and your cold, hard wallet. And unless you kind of get into that space, it's not easy to navigate. So to all of you, thank you for being such inspirational stories in your time. We really, really appreciate it. Good luck, too. Thank you, Jeanette. Sound DeFi, the podcast that delivers key insights from today's thought leaders on all things DeFi, blockchain, crypto, and private market asset data. 